Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Product Launch Podcast. As always, I'm the host, Sean Boyce. Uh, today, my guest is Jim Paulino from Lodestar. Hello, Jim. How are you? And thanks Hi. for being here. And thanks for having me. So for our guest here, please let us know what Lodestar is and tell us a little bit about how it came to be. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. Um, so uh, Lodestar is a company I started about seven years ago. Uh, we're a provider of data to any mortgage lender, basically. So um, if we tell people how much they're going to pay when they buy a house is the line I always like to use for it at cocktail parties <laughs> of, you know, when someone comes in, they buy a house, um, they need to know three important things or want to know at least. What's your interest rate? Um, how much are you going to pay every month? How much cash do I need to close? Um, so we really work on that last piece of data is how much money do you need to bring to close on this loan. Um, obviously your down payment, but there are a lot of other fees that people generally don't realize, usually about three to 5% of your purchase price you're gonna have to pay in closing for things like insurance, taxes. Um, furthermore, the lender, whoever's giving you the loan, actually is held accountable to whatever number they give you and they need to guarantee that data. So we aggregate that data for the industry, guarantee it and automate it uh, for providers, people like Nafee Federal Credit Union, top down home builders, um, as a way of helping those businesses save time and money. Got it, so mm -hmm. streamlining the process, yep. proving the accuracy, uh, more predictive, that kind of thing? Yep, absolutely. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, bought, I've been through the process of buying a home a few times, mm -hmm. and it is amazing how much magic there appears to be with how things yeah. come together. So any transparency there or consistency, mm -hmm. yeah. I think would be definitely important. Pennsylvania is not the easiest state as well, too. You'd think that some things they could just look up online, but then you're waiting you know, six weeks for a tax, tax search or something like that. And I've seen very, very smart friends of mine with master's degrees in finance have no clue when they're going through the process. So That's it's amazing. definitely um, an area that, that needs more visibility at the end of the day. That's excellent. Well, I'm glad that you guys are offering value to the market yeah. in that area. Mm -hmm. So. Tell me a little bit about how Lodestar came to be, because I believe it's a really cool story. I mean, we talked a little bit yep. about it before. I'd love to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so probably about 10 years ago now, um, I was in college. Um, I grew up in the um, in the space, um, so to speak. Um, my family still runs a small title, um, title insurance company. Basically, they're the people who do your closings or refinance your mortgage. They handle escrow, so the exchange of funds. So they put the stamp on everything and get some money, get the money to where it has to go, make sure everything's recorded in the public record. So I'd always been involved in that company in some way, shape, or form. Um, honestly, at that time, it was more moving boxes of old files. You know, things were digitized. Yeah, so I'd get a U-Haul truck, and that would be my main job. But I was studying engineering at the time. Um, they had a problem. They basically needed to tell their customers how much they were going to pay. Um, there's a requirement coming down, like many businesses, probably that you see in SaaS especially. Um, regulation um, or fear is a very powerful motivator. So that was really what started of, hey, we have a problem. We need to figure out how to solve it in a couple of months. What can you do? Um, so I'm by no means a good programmer, but I was able to put together basically a calculator um, that helps them aggregate all that information delivered to their clients. Um, there was a January 1st, 2010 deadline. I think it was ready December 29th, maybe. Um, <laughs> rolled it out. Um, it was just, just their proprietary the product. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I spent a lot of time over that break uh, working on it. So it was a good, it was a good part-time job. Um, and launched what well helped them grow from being in three states to national. 
Um, for a few years, it was a part-time job for myself, just maintaining that for just my one client. And then slowly over time, saw more opportunities of, hey, I did this for one client. You know, I didn't like the job I was doing at the time a few years later. Um, this has been a, a nice side job for a while. So I figured, let me quit, quit a six-figure job, go into my old business or go into my own business in an apartment I can't really afford. What could go wrong? <laughs> so that was pretty much what happened. Um, you know, you're going to talk about lessons learned, I'm sure, in a little bit. And from there, it just took so much time to, to ramp up and get the product and sell it to other people in the industry, making every mistake possible. Like I said, I wasn't necessarily the best developer, um, had no sales experience formally before this. So steep learning curve. Um, that was about seven years ago. You know, still kicking now. We've figured out a lot of that stuff, work with um, both banks, credit unions, mortgage companies, still title agents all throughout the country. Uh, just under 200 clients, probably about a little over a million, two million transactions a month, a year going through our system. So easier to look back now, but it's been a, been a very, uh, you know, long journey to get there. I'm sure. That's mm -hmm. such a cool story. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I've mentioned in particular that I mm -hmm. heard you say that I'm a big advocate for as well, too, mm -hmm. is having that kind of subject matter expertise, right? Yeah. You mentioned a family business that you were involved with, mm -hmm. fairly familiar with got to understand some serious problems in the space, yeah. but highly specialized to that industry. And that really set you up well, I mean, despite the fact that you had a great background for yeah. engineering, right, like mm -hmm. natural problem solver, is that you truly understood the industry very well because you kind of had experience in it. I did and I didn't, I think. Um, I think it makes sense. Probably I thought think so at the time. You won't, you're you only listening you're to that one company and that was the problem. Right. And it was a little myopic in that, in that perspective. Um, and you know, obviously there's something said for an outsider coming in and not knowing the industry um, but it was definitely helpful in connections and having that client that probably wasn't going to fire you at the end of the day so it was a good was sandbox nice. for a lot of those things um, you know plenty of other early clients of ours did fire us so it was good to you know always have that fallback have that balance yep, sure um, and then um, what was the point I was going to get to um, I think it, it made for a more authentic story to your point saying like, sure. you know, moving boxes with the title company, right. starting that way, like being yep. in the industry, talking about the ups and downs. Um, you know, I think it's been, it's been a, a helpful thing to really bond with people when you're in the sales process and, you know, trying to be authentic at that point. Absolutely. Did you feel mm -hmm. that your experience working with the family business and knowing the industry a little bit more mm -hmm. than someone else uh, like myself who, previously may not have had that experience where to start a business. Did you feel that that, like you said, came off a little bit more authentic when you were in that sales process, talking to other people for the first time, mm -hmm. explaining, you know, what Lodestar was and what it was going to be able to do to help them. Did they, did the fact that you had, had kind of some industry expertise, did that aid you in your efforts of helping them solve problems? Um, it definitely opened more doors and I think it's, you know, a good way of making that connection early on. Um, you know, the other thing in technology, I think you're more likely to see people who, you know, have a technology background, no industry background, um, you know, and they think they can just go in and solve some problem. And, you know, in some cases have a lot of money behind them to do that. Um, and what you see with the solution is it can be very pretty, it can look great, but it doesn't necessarily do what it needs to do. So, you know, so many people, um, you know, get a hammer and look for a nail, right? right? Opposed to kind of growing organically out of industry problems and trying to fix them that way. Yeah, absolutely. Well put. 
another mm -hmm. thing you mentioned is part of your background too, which I draw more attention to in that you didn't kind of dive in at first immediately. You mm -hmm. worked in industry, you had, yeah. you know, you were, you were working elsewhere and you were working on this at the same time, mm -hmm. which I think is another thing that doesn't get enough credit as far as like, I, I typically recommend you set yourself up for the long haul, right? Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of material out there that talks about this world being like a sprint. It's a race to the finish. And if you don't get there, it's over. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think that's a bit misleading. Yeah. And instead, I think you should set you up for something that's more sustainable than that. And like you said, once you start to get traction, now you can shift gears and potentially go into that full time. Which, mm -hmm. you know, that, that thing looks fairly sustainable. Yeah. I mean, I arguably probably went in much sooner than I should have. Too, but hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, and then you don't know. You're not going to learn as quickly as if you don't do something full time. Um, to your point, I really like the phrase. It takes years to be an overnight success, and one. people generally see the end. You're all right. They go, "Oh, you're here so quick. You've done so much," and you know, you don't see the the ten years plus the time that it gets to get there. So, uh, my advice: I try to talk to as many founders, other people in business as possible. Um, and it's always, it takes so much time. Um, and just the more you can do before you have that kind of, um, full-time cushion to go into, or at least money saved up, like time is your best friend as an entrepreneur. Um, and I did not do nearly enough to make sure I really bought myself time. I honestly thought it was going to be quick and easy and I was sadly mistaken. I often make the comment if someone had told, you know, 26 year old me before I made the switch of the things you were going to go through and how hard it was going to be. Um, I don't know if at the time I would have opted in to that. Um, so, you know, <laughs> ignorance is blessed in a certain way. And I'm, I'm, I mean, in hindsight, I would have done it again in a heartbeat, yep. would have made some of the decisions that probably made things a little bit easier. Um, I feel like going through it, I made kind of every small business mistake imaginable from giving away equity to a friend who you thought was going to be a good co-founder and, you know, all those types of challenges, not having a good, um, market fit, no idea how to price, which I think can often be a problem in, in SaaS, especially B2B. Um, so, you know, there's there's a learning curve um, and you kind of just have to do a lot of a lot of everything. I call it chief everything officer, yeah. CEO, right? Mm -hmm. And the overnight success is important to recognize as yeah. well too. I, mm -hmm. I often share a very similar sentiment, which is the one that's usually shared about Airbnb, which I'm sure you've heard is, it took them five years to become an overnight success. Yeah. Right, for years they were banging on doors and people were just tossing them out. All of a sudden, it just started clicking. And then, right. of course, like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. Everybody for that that is using Airbnb, like on the earlier side of things, from their experience and perspective, it's like this is brilliant. Why didn't I think of this? Right. I'm like, oh man, you're missing so much to that story. Yeah. <laughs> like that just uh, oversimplifies everything. Right. So. Um, excellent points. So you had mentioned, right, along the way, making mistakes. Mm -hmm. I, your experience is so similar to mine. It's like yeah. eerie where mm -hmm. um, family business, for the most part, right. involved with, started my own SaaS business, started too early, made lots of mistakes. Mm -hmm. right? I would say it's arguably the best educational experience I've had to date. You've yeah. had a few other really good ones as well, too. So I'd love to hear from you as far as what you would have done differently had you to do it again and that could also be you know advice for those looking to do it into the future yeah um yeah so man get a hard-hitting question, question early in the morning <laughs> too um, i would have done things to i think there is in a few different categories i think one of which was kind of the how you manage things personally i mean for me i put a lot of personal stress on myself um because of 
you know, I was living in an expensive area in Manhattan. I, I put my living expenses to my old salary, not my new salary. Um, so I was just burning money and creating a lot of undue pressure on myself. Um, so, you know, however long you think something's going to take, double it, triple it. Um, you know, there was, there was a point in time um, through the business, I was paying myself $3,000 um, a month. Um, that was my take home. Probably about 200, 2,500, if not more of that was just rent because it was, it was yeah, Manhattan. That true. was just, that was just paying the landlord, you know, electricity cable and then not even everything else. Everything else was on credit cards. So, you know, that was not a sustainable point of living. So, you know, I, I talked to people, I talked to a 24 year old who now just quit his job last week, starting a business. He's living at home. I'm like, great. That's, I wish I had yeah. done, you know, it, it has its drawbacks, but um, I think a lot of it was personal choice of, you know, I wish I had, um, you know, not put myself into the amount of credit card debt that I did that took me years to get out of it and kind of that pressure. So um, that was probably one of the things. Um, bringing in the wrong people early on, um, you know, thinking, you know, I had a thought at the time, I basically brought on a co-founder that ended up um, not being the right fit. And I, I did have a um, thought at the time um, when I was giving equity of um, either it's going to work out with him and we'll make it, or if it doesn't work out with him, we just won't be a success at all. And that was the wrong way to think about it. Um, you know, my recommendation is when you can pay people cash, pay people cash. Keep that, keep that equity, um, you know, as tight as possible. Um, one of the things we did that I don't think was a mistake, um, and I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on more, is, you know, we've very much been a bootstrap business. We had a friends and family around, which I could rant about as well. <laughs> has its own has its own issues, um, but we, we did that, and that really just allowed me to bring on our are now CTO, another friend. Um, and really that, that's been the only funding that we've had. Um, so bootstrapping from there has, has its advantages. You know, I don't think, um, I think we are different in the way we haven't really sought out a lot of VC funding. You know, it's tough when you see a lot of people out there raising $5 million, $10 million more than that. I'm sure you've seen that in your own way. All the time. And then, you know, when people are spreading like that, how do you, you know, it's kind of the tortoise and the hare, right? right? How do you how do you stay sane? How do you not get distracted by that? How do you not get frustrated by that? How do you kind of balance? That's an excellent point. Yeah, um, I I want to address that. Sorry, I, 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 I threw out like five okay. different things. No, it's amazing. I also yeah. want to summarize what you said because they're excellent mm -hmm. points. So I would summarize number one and set yourself up on the long haul. Yeah, right? that's important. It's not a it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm -hmm. Number two, choose your team members and teammates wisely and protect yeah. your company right at all costs. Mm -hmm. Like we just mentioned, based on the previous point, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So set yourself up for that long haul yeah. and realize that some things you try are not going to work out, right? Yeah. I had a similar experience to you, mm -hmm. co-founder. We were great friends. Um, mm -hmm. We had both plenty of skills that we bring to the table, but ultimately just personality-wise, you know, ambition-wise, the things yeah. that we wanted just were not aligned. Mm -hmm. And that that came out at the worst possible time. And then it, it, you know, yeah. Exactly. So like, that's what happens when you press up against the wall like this. Mm -hmm. And then the third point, which is what I want to talk about more, to your question, which I think is an excellent one, is you know whether or not to seek outside funding um, mm -hmm. when necessary, or if you know if you if you even if you don't need it, right? If it can help you grow faster, right. and so on and so forth. Um, I am squarely in the side of yours as well too. Mm -hmm. Whenever you can pay people cash, pay them cash. Yeah, I think it's important, uh, especially even if you're considering adding someone to your team down the road, mm -hmm. right? Cash upfront gives you an idea of what it's like to work with that individual, and then if if interests become aligned, yeah. mutually aligned. 
Now I think it's worth having potentially a, a, a conversation about, hey, do you want to kind of join forces here? And here's what that's going to look like, right? And be brutally honest and upfront about the whole thing mm -hmm. because it's like, look, this is going to get difficult. There's going to be time where you're working way more than you think you're going to be, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So try to almost try to break the deal before you try to make the deal kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then with regard to funding, I agree with you as well, too. Honestly, I've had a, I've had a number of VCs and people that are in the investment community mm -hmm. told me that if you don't need to raise, don't. Yeah. Um, and they've been very specific about why. And I've kind of I've experienced that through the companies that I've helped mm -hmm. is it is a lot of hoops to jump through. Yeah. It's a lot more cooks in the kitchen. It's a lot more people vying for control mm -hmm. and direction of your company and so on and so forth. So it could do anything from steer you down the wrong path, um, influence you to make executive decisions you don't want to make mm -hmm. or like strip the passion away from what yeah. it is that you're doing. And I think that's the biggest killer. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm doing this because it's not a typical job. Like that's yeah. one of the reasons why we do it, right? So mm -hmm. like the last thing I want to do is be like deflated or defeated at all yeah. in what it is that I'm doing and make this become boring and monotonous yeah. routine uh, and chasing the wrong things, right? It's like, mm -hmm. I very, very quickly learned and I'd love to get your take on this as well too, mm -hmm. that I, I, there's been a bunch of ideas that I, I wanted to have chased, mm -hmm. but ultimately I realized some of them that I were chasing were strictly for the, the fact that they had potential and could be successful, but I wasn't passionate about them. Right. And I've learned in you know, a hard lesson where it's like, if you're not passionate about what it is that you're doing and it's this path that we're describing, mm -hmm. it's not gonna last. Yeah. So it's just gonna burn out for one reason or another. Well, so I think it's important to define that too, because you know, I'm not passionate about mortgage calculators at the end of the day. <laughs> what, what I enjoy is being my own boss, running, yes. running my own business. Um, I like working in the mortgage industry, the real estate industry. because It touches every aspect of every person's life and has a great impact on the economy. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to say, like, kind of put a fine point on that of what, right. what do you like about, because, you know, the SaaS industry, you're going to get into very strange, very narrow kind of implementations and Definitely. to your point anytime i've talked to anyone who's been successful and as a company they're still running 10 years plus you ask them what they do who they work with um their niche is is so narrow of yeah. you know what they do i can tell you the exact type of client i want from the software they use their volume where in the country they may be the types of states they work in awesome. um and it's just from talking to so many people who aren't that and I think it takes a while to, to get to that point. Um, but going back to your point, this is going to be a question for you, um, kind of about, you know, seeing people going through the VC funding in that stage. And, you know, I've seen it enough where that becomes your full-time job, especially okay. as a CEO. But then how do you, you know, you see people who do that and you see the other end of how fast they can ramp up, how fast they can grow. And then, you know, especially if they're a competitor of yours or a peer or someone even younger than you, how does that not frustrate you? Yeah, that's a great question too, yeah. is it can be very distracting. Um, yeah. The first point you made where it's basically a full-time job, yeah. I agree with that also. Mm -hmm. And so there's a local um, startup or one of the startup stories that I'm familiar with, two mm -hmm. female founders and that I'm friends with. Um, when I was meeting with one of the founders, I was asking where her co-founder was, mm -hmm. and she's like, oh, she's raising. Right. So they, the two of them weren't even working together at that yeah. point because of just how much time it takes. But to your point with like the distraction and you not become distracted by that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so enticing to think and like, it's, it, it's easy to kind of glorify what this world looks like right. you know, as far as, wow, they have $5 million. Like think about what I could do with yeah. that money, how much faster I could move, how much people I can hire, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, 
it's one of those things where like if you play that card you can't put it back in the deck yeah so i try to remind myself that where it's like mm -hmm. there's a time and a place right and i think definitely you know um, venture capital has its place and mm -hmm. certainly can help what i would caution people against is glorifying that world and what it can be because yeah. it is a lot murkier than i think people <clears throat> realize it is until you're actually deep inside a meeting with investors just yesterday for a client of mine mm -hmm. and I was waiting for basically two hours before they would even see me. <laughs> so, and like it's yeah. an hour for, it's an hour both ways, like it's right. back and forth. It's like, it's, your day. it's yeah. relatively mild when it comes to what you might be dealing with, right. but it's just, there's so much more that you're not thinking about yeah. that you're going to be involved with. Well, then you look at their business model, say they're in, you know, investing five to $10 million. They're going to do that with what 20 something companies hope that one or two, are successful right exactly right? and drive in and ultimately um, you know I wonder how much when they're pumping money into businesses like that the goal may not even be profitability the goal may be to let's just get the valuation to a point where we can sell this company yep. and make make more money so it's really you know it's kind of counterintuitive to what you think of a business that's actually you know going off its own profits and things like that and I mean we've been profitable since I don't know, 2013, 2014, I forget, I forget the point where we had, well, maybe 2015, sorry. Oh, good. <laughs> it's been a, a while, <laughs> but, um, you know, at the point in that we've bought back investors, bought out investors from yep. the friends and family around. So, um, you know, having your own money to make those choices and do those things is very, very good and helpful, but it, it limits your options because you can only focus sure. on so much. Um, I think one thing, too, when people start a company, especially in the SaaS industry, um, there's a lot of other ways to get capital that aren't VC, especially in SaaS when generally if you have a recurring revenue model, like the majority of SaaS companies do, um, you're very bankable in certain ways. So that's been, at least for me, an avenue to look of, okay, do I have a line of credit with my bank? What are my credit cards? You know, those are things you hope you don't have to use, but when you need them, you can't get them. Um, so, you know, being, being able to look at those kind of different options and things like that. Yeah, it's a really good mm -hmm. point. Um, and when you need it, there are other options yeah. that isn't the traditional route, mm -hmm. so to speak. I, my, probably my best piece of advice for someone who is considering raising mm -hmm. is don't do it to get off the ground, do it to grow faster. Yeah. Like you're already growing, you're already doing well, like for someone like yourself running your business, mm -hmm. you're already profitable, um, you're growing, all of that is great. So you can, you can you have demonstrated an equation that says, um, you know, if you give me $1, I can turn it into three, or I can turn it into right. four. And that's what I think that's what investors are really looking for, especially mm -hmm. on the East Coast I've seen. Yeah. And I think that's important because you already have that equation kind of figured out, right? You know mm -hmm. who your customer is, you know who they're not. And at that point, you could grow faster if you want to, but it's your choice. Yeah. I think the second component of that is control. Is I would always want someone to maintain executive control, mm -hmm. you know, controlling interest of their entity. Yeah. Because I don't want them to give the keys away, so to speak. So if you can maintain at least 51% of control, mm -hmm. then you ultimately are the one making the decision as far as what to do and what not to do when it comes to day-to-day -day with the business. And if you have, a, um, to your point, a business that's a little further along, it's easier to do that opposed sure. to just having a great idea exactly. and nothing else. I was at a networking event, and this, some version of this happens to me pretty much all the time, where, where someone came up to me, he was probably in his 50s or something like that, um, and I think just got an MBA, um, and he was talking, and he goes, I have an idea. It's a little out there, though. And you just kind of nod and you say, okay, because they're going to tell you in like 30 seconds. Anyway, it's like, imagine 
if there's a place you can exchange goods and services on the blockchain. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there. Like, he's like, say you were looking to get your hair cut. Bam, it's there. We're looking to get uh, your lawn mode. Bam, it's there. And trying not to be like too pithy or too, right. too much of a jerk to this guy. I'm like, have you have you heard of Google? Yeah. Right. And like also <laughs> like all too often in, in this industry, people get, you know, a technology that's new and just a buzzword like AI or blockchain. You go, yeah. Oh, let's just apply it to everything exactly. opposed to kind of looking at a problem and finding a way to fix it. So, exactly. um, so. you know, that's I, I guess a little different from our B, BC yeah. rant, but um but still excellent yeah. point. It's and that happens. I'm sure you've had your own experiences that's with right. something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I steer people whenever I can towards the problem and not the solution. Yeah. That's basically what you're referring to. And right. I agree. It comes up all the time. Mm -hmm. My pet peeves now are AI and ML and all the like yeah. artificial intelligence and it's thrown around everywhere. Well, if we just use artificial intelligence and like it takes me back to engineering school where mm -hmm. professors would say part of our like a design and engineering projects, mm -hmm. they'd say, look, you can't say, you know, insert magic here and then magic comes out this mm -hmm. side of that box. That's yeah. not how any of this works. Like you have to make sure that what you're talking about is really theoretically yeah. actually possible in the real world. So mm -hmm. don't do any of that kind of stuff. Right. And that's what I think about when people say like, well, you know, I know what if we just did this yeah. and we'll just use AI for that. It's like, okay, well, despite mm -hmm. the fact that AI doesn't really even exist yet. Yeah. <laughs> you're really just talking thing. about machine learning. Exactly. Like, so. You're just talking yeah. about software basically. Yeah. Which made me think, I don't know if you're a South Park fan, but there's uh, the yeah. underwear known sets so to collect underpants. Right. Step three, make profits. <laughs> step two, maybe yeah. Wait, well, what's step two? Market. I don't know. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, Jim, I can't thank you enough for being here. It's yeah. been super helpful mm -hmm. uh, sharing the story with myself and the listeners mm -hmm. um, and the content we spoke about. I have two other questions for you before I let you sure. go. Uh, the first one is, what resources would you recommend for other people in and around the SaaS world, like yeah. myself and our listeners? Um, other founders, I think, at the end of the day, and I think one of the mistakes I made early on was not getting enough kind of mentorship or even just peers or people in the industry going through a similar process. Um, honestly, you know, there's so much of doing this that can be very isolating. You can't really talk about some things with your coworkers because they're involved. It's a little too sensitive. They're close to it. Um, so having other people that you can talk to that have been through similar challenges, honestly, it's like group therapy. It's it's very helpful um, to be able to have those outlets as people's brains to pick. Um, nothing's going to be 100% like what you're doing, but there are a lot of similar challenges. Um, so that would really be what I would seek out on a larger level. Um, for me, what was helpful beyond that was just being industry specific. So, you know, going to conferences, getting out there, talking to people, you know, building up a network of, of people that you can talk to and bounce ideas off of, you know, clients, obviously, referral sources, even people in the industry that may be selling to the same people as you, but had some non-competing product. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can do there on a more industry-specific level. And every industry, especially in the SaaS world, is going to have some sort of group, some sort of conference, probably at a casino, because that's how it usually <laughs> is. So, you know, finding that and getting your ass there, you're going to learn yep. um, you know, a lot. Totally agree. Yeah. Two excellent points. Um, the first I would reiterate and totally mm -hmm. agree with, which is like finding a coach and having that yeah. right support system. Mm -hmm. I realized at some point building my own SaaS businesses that mm -hmm. I was doing arguably the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing hard things previously, like whether it be school or sports or yeah. whatever, I always had a coach. Mm -hmm. And now for whatever reason, I didn't. So I saw one out, 
arguably the best decision yeah. I've made since I started you know, running my own businesses. So that's mm -hmm. an excellent point. And then uh, finding your industry, getting specific mm -hmm. is also excellent. I think the misconception there is that if I niche down, I'm going to eliminate all these possible opportunities. But in fact, we often see the exact opposite yeah. happen. So much so that the common phrases come up, uh, it's niche to get rich, right? I'm sure you've heard I that. I haven't before, heard that so. actually. That's a good I've one. heard a couple yeah. different variations mm -hmm. of that and I firmly believe it. Though. Yeah. So once you figure out how to get more specific mm -hmm. to it. Well, saying no is very important, but very difficult when you start. Because if Absolutely. you don't have a lot of clients or a lot of business, why not say yes? What is your time worth? Right. You know, but then if something's not going to lead to recurring revenue or a product you can resell, you know, it's the wrong path. Good point. So once you have the data, mm -hmm. use that data to figure yeah. out, okay, how do I get more specific with, mm -hmm. with the traction I have so yeah. far? That's a great process. And then last question for you is, uh, who should reach out to you and how can they get mm -hmm. in touch? Um, anyone who, to my point before, wants running a business, wants to talk about it, wants to vent, um, or if you're in the real estate mortgage industries, would love to talk to you as well. Um, you can go on our website, lodestarss.com, L-O-D-E-S-T-A-R-S-S.com. Um, I have my blog there. You can send in a request to meet, um, anything else. Um, find me on, on LinkedIn at Jim Paolino. Um, and looking forward to talking to you. Excellent. Great. Thanks for being here yeah. and sharing your advice, Jerry. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Product Launch Podcast powered by Next Step. If you or anyone you know is involved in scaling a B2B SaaS business, please have them reach out to me about becoming a potential guest on our show. They can email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N at N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. At this time, we'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, Next Step Consulting. Would you like to know what the right next steps are for your B2B SaaS business? Are you trying to grow and scale, but you're stuck? We can help. To find out how Next Step can help your B2B SaaS business achieve its goals, please email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N at nxtstep.io. Thanks and keep disrupting. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.